Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I believe you might be missing the greater point of the show, Paladin Butters. Yeah, I know. Winter is coming and there's dragons and zombies on the way. I'm pretty excited for that. Broadcasting from the bowels of the Red Keep, a king's road away from a fallen Winterfell and their wintry exile of Castle Black, you're listening to The Night is Dark and Full of Spoilers with Maester Daniel and Ben of House Garrett, Lord of Oxford and Warden of North Mississippi and other things that sound cool and stuff. For the night is dark and full of... Spoilers. It's it's full of spoilers and stuff. The night is dark and full of... Spoilers! I keep watching that show and I'm still waiting for the darn dragons to show up and, and kick everyone's butts. Hello, hello, and welcome to The Night is Dark and Full of Spoilers. I'm Ben of House Garrett, Lord of Oxford, Warden of North Mississippi. He's Maester Daniel on loan from the Citadel, and today we're breaking down Season 8, Episode 5 of Game of Thrones. The Bells, the worst-reviewed episode in series history, according to Rotten Tomatoes. I had to throw that in there before we got started. Because it was tough. You'll probably be surprised to learn that I found the episode entertaining. I really did. Like mindlessly setting off some fireworks, if you turn your brain off, it's fun enough. The visuals of which we'll likely never see on TV again. The stunning shot of Drogon coming out of the darkness to burn Varys. That was wicked. The credits. Great. Music blending reigns of Castamere and the Light of the Seven. That was pure magic. Duwaldi's the MVP. 
he came back, did a little derivative of The Light of the Seven and Danny's theme, which is that huge, especially when she's on Drogon, the Drogon theme, the Danny Drogon theme. He mixed that and The Light of the Seven together to great effect. He's been on a run the last three seasons where it's been um, some of the best music ever. Every, I mean, everything else besides the writing has been really, really good besides little quips like, um, I wish that they'd have found a new stunt coordinator between the mountain and the hound, but that's nitpicking stuff. Having said everything that I just said, and as Maester Daniel said, I have serious grievances about episode five as I have with all but like one episode of the season and how the showrunners, Benioff and Weiss, have absolutely massacred several character arcs. And those points don't have to be and aren't mutually exclusive. The Mad Queen has taken her throne of ashes. Let's get to the good stuff or just stuff, depending on your opinion of the episode. <laughs> Maester Daniel, episode five, visually stunning. And to a point, I like the choice to show the destruction of King's Landing from the perspective of the common people. It's an episode undoubtedly epic in scale with visuals. Like I mentioned, we'll never see him again on TV. But, 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 but. Lots of buts. The storytelling has devolved into nothing more than gross spectacle. We're now watching a Michael Bay movie with a dragon. And once you remove the grandiosity and spectacle, what's... The point. And I can answer that, my friends. There isn't one. The episode, The Bells, in my opinion, is the perfect encapsulation of everything good and everything bad about this show in its current form. So we kick things off with Cinder Raven. That's when Maester Daniel gives us the quick take he has on the episode that was. Maester Daniel, you now have the ears of the lords and ladies. Go. Well, you kind of stole exactly what I was going to say. I mean, as a spectacle, her burning down King's Landing goes down as one of the technical achievements. I mean, the, from the flight of her out of the sun to her nuking the Red Keep is one of the most impressive technical feats, including with the blending with the shots on the ground like Arya running through the streets. Those things are incredible, but the story continues to be just an awful mess. You said it best. They've gone for the Michael Bay style storytelling, and uh, except they use M. Night Shyamalan twists to try to pepper in to keep you, the, us, the audience, off beat and off balance, and it doesn't it doesn't work because they didn't earn those moments. So that's why it feels so empty, and why it feels so hollow when we get these quote unquote moments because it's like bulleted points, like you mentioned earlier. They just went for the brief. Um, Wikipedia version of the story. For those who've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you know I usually hand out my bowls of brown from Flea Bottom Corner. We're going to skip that today because today we're going to take a deep dive into what it means to go, quote, mad. And to get this started, I'm going to hop on my soapbox and bear with me for just a moment. I did this last week. I've got a lot of notes. Here we go. <laughs> when the Mad King sat on his throne and called for his necromancer. Pyromancer. Pyromancer. That's right. Sorry. Necromancer. Goes by, they, they call themselves wisdom. Drives Grand Maester Pycelle crazy. Pyromancer. Burn them all. You heard that. You saw that in Bran's vision. It was because the Mad King thought the wildfire he'd stored 
in and around King's Landing would, in effect, not simply set aflame all the citizens, but allow him to rise from the ashes as a dragon. King Aerys Targaryen was delusional and completely out of touch with reality. And as Maester yes. Daniel has detailed countless times before, he'd been like that for years, sadistic, vile, cruel. He liked to hurt people. That's established... Paranoid. Yes, that's established book canon. Which brings us to the now mad queen Daenerys Targaryen, who finally made her full-on hill turn in The Bells, the penultimate episode of not only Season 8, but all of Game of Thrones. This is it. All that's left is the series finale. And here we are. Daenerys Targaryen, first of her name, the unburnt, Queen of the Andals, the Roynar, and the First Men, whatever it is. Queen of Marine. It's good. No, you did, you did it. You did it. Let me see if I can get all of them. Khaleesi of the Great Grass Sea, Protector of the Realm, Lady Regent, I think it is, of the Seven Kingdoms, Breaker of Chains, Mother of Dragons. She's burning thousands upon thousands of innocent people. Minimum nothing, tens of thousands. Minimum for nothing more than plot reasons. Here's my final points on the soapbox before we get to Maester Daniel. Before we get into this any further, let's make one point perfectly clear. David Benioff, D.B. Weiss didn't earn this. And anyone who argues they did will forever make excuses for a show that deserves no such loyalty from you. But that's okay, because we all consume media differently. There's no right or wrong here. If the bells work for you, awesome, great, I'm happy for you. For Maester Daniel and I, it most certainly did not. I never cared how this grand show and experiment we call Thrones got to its ending, only that they told a fully formed, cohesive story. Danny, in the final hours we have left with these characters, literally burns them all. And why? Why does she burn them all? That's a great health question. Forgive the cussing. I bleep the word. But there was no inciting incident. Victory was in her hands. What she had pursued her entire life, her life's dream in her hands. The war was over. I can't remember which showrunner it was, but during it inside the episode, following an early season episode of the show, he was speaking of Danny. And the quote was, I'm summarizing, forgive me, quote, she's not her father, she's not insane, she's not a sadist, but there's a Targaryen ruthlessness that comes with all Targaryens, end quote. Jorah once told her she has a gentle heart. Jorah turned his allegiance from Viserys to Danny when the former proved unhinged. He gave up on Varys, who was paying him money, who, was, who gave him a promise to have his ancestral lands back. Right. So I doubt mm-hmm. Jorah would have stuck with Danny as long as he did until his last dying breath if there was even a hint of her going mad. So forgive me if I find it nonsensical for a character that always checked her worst impulses and has never had a desire to murder innocent people to randomly and suddenly and jarringly flip a switch and become a genocidal war criminal. And yes, Danny boasted before she would burn cities to the ground when she was like seeking entry into Karth with the city's council of elders or whatever. But had Danny and Jorah and the Dothraki horde not gotten into Karth, they literally were going to die in the Garden in the of Red Bones. the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. Yes, the Garden of Bones, they're dead. You promised to receive me. We have received you. Here we are, and here you are. If you do not let us in, 
all of us will die. Which we shall deeply regret. But Karth did not become the greatest city that ever was or will be by letting Dothraki savages through its gates. Thirteen! When my dragons are grown, we will take back what was stolen from me and destroy those who have wronged me. We will lay waste to armies and burn cities to the ground. Turn us away, and we will burn you first. Ah, you are a true Targaryen. It's just not an easy pill to swallow for me. And I've got many more points to make, but this was tough. Was it tough for you? Because this is not something you're a fan of, the idea of Danny turning mad. Now, I think there's book precedent. I think this is the end game. We'll get to that later. But for right. you, how the show handled it, how they got to that place, is it as tough a pill for you to swallow as it is for me? Of course it is, because you detailed it, if anybody's been following this podcast for any number of episodes, is that through seven and eight, they slam these storylines together so quickly that you can't catch your breath. And so... We've literally had, in a subsequent three-episode arc from episode three to episode five, we've gone from the Night King being the bad guy to Cersei being the bad guy to Daenerys being the bad guy. Subsequently, there's no big bad guy. There's no chance for us as the audience to see these characters pay for the, the you know, experience the consequences of these actions, the falling action of doing this stuff. And where does Danny's army keep coming from? Do they respawn randomly? We saw them charge into 300,000 dead people, and all of a sudden, they're riding through the streets of King's Landing, and there's probably 20,000 of them. Right. That's one thing that I couldn't get over. Half of the Dothraki and Unsullied survived the zombie apocalypse. So that zombie apocalypse wasn't so apocalyptic after all. It was, it was a way to... Further diminishing the long night. Yeah, well, the only thing that they could do here... And it might be where they're trying to go is that uh, the brand may be manipulating events. We said it when we watched episode two, when he said, I'm waiting on old friend. I'm um, sorry, episode one, I guess, because it feels like forever ago that Jamie Lannister made it to Winterfell because he's already made it back to King's Landing and died that he introduces John's parentage into this chaos and it may be telling, this is it's crappy foreshadowing if it is, that he when he told Littlefinger that chaos is the latter, he may have meant it in a completely different way. He may be using chaos to for him for his own benefit. We don't know what ending it means. Because if they're going nihilistic, that would be great if he was really the bad guy at the end. And would it surprise you if they pulled off the mask in four subsequent episodes, we have another big bad guy. So Bran suddenly the villain at the end. He's the one that made all this happen. He wanted to keep the balance of the world or something. Want to be the world's memory. Do we even know what he does? No. Has he done anything besides introduce the main strife between Danny and John? The thing, the very thing we talked about. And gave a very weak Absolutely. motivation for the Night King. Yes. There could be that angle working for it. But if even if they do that, would anybody not roll their eyes at it? It would just be another twist. For the sake of twist, it's, it's an M. Night Shyamalan movie. There were seeds Danny could go mad in the end. Absolutely. But, but up to this point, it was set up that Danny has a good heart and wants to help. Honestly, Ben, they, they bought into the whole, she was this savior complex. She did the whole Mesa. They had her riding waves of slaves. She was being born on their arms through it. 
and they showed that the evil of the slavers and the reaction of the people, especially when they crucified all those kids, you felt like she was doing the right thing. And all of a sudden, you never see the slow descent into cruelty to innocence. She always protected the innocent. Always. To a fault. All over Slaver's Bay. Right. All over the Dothraki horde. She could have killed many Dothraki to make them. She didn't. She killed their leaders. She killed the ones who were going to stop her. All the evil ones, of course, you know, you see again, back to season one, we thought the Dothraki were these evil rapists and pillagers, which they're kind of built on the old Mongol hordes. They're great spearmen. They carry the Iraqs. They also have, they have bowmen too. They're mounted, they're mounted cavalry that are hard to beat. And so they call them savages. It pains me to see that Amelia Clark's doing her best work with this type of writing at the end of the day. That's the most sinful thing. At all this. The vast majority of people picked up on Danny having a good heart and wanting to help, no matter what the show apologists like cough Stephen Willis cough. But they just, they just, they just, they just, but the thing is, they over and over again show how she protects innocent. She doesn't let the Dothraki rape and pillage Marine like they would. Right. That's what I was, she frees the Unsullied. The Unsullied, the reason Grey Worm's called Grey Worm is because that's the name that he had when she freed him. It wasn't because his old name, he said, was cursed. He said, my new name was because... De- and now he's throwing spears at innocent people. We have Unsullied and Northmen murdering people in King's Landing. And honestly, I don't feel bad for the people at King's Landing. Don't misconstrue what I'm saying. They deserve to die, too. They cheered on Ned in season one. So, hey, do you feel sorry for them? Do you feel sorry for any of the Lannister soldiers that get, that get murdered? No, of course not. They've killed and murdered and maimed many great houses through this war. They stayed uh, loyal to a psychopath. So... It's not even that. It's the way that these writers decided that 13 episodes was enough to fit all this in here. We talked about them not being able to handle the mystical elements. We just brought up with Bran. What are they doing? What are they even doing with them? There's a lot to get to, and a lot of this we'll cover in more detail. Really quickly, I wanted to play a clip. The AV Club put it best. It's not that the final season is failing to live up to my specific expectations of what was supposed to happen. It's that the final season is failing to live up to what I believe a final season should do, and that's enrich the show that came before it. For me, this is one of the most disappointing final seasons of any show ever. Maybe the most disappointing. There's never been such a cultural phenomenon like Game of Thrones. Everybody's watching this. This is the story of our generation. But what we're getting is hilarious at this point. I laugh at these things, and I'm incredulous how anyone can vehemently defend this. Even the actors are taking a shit on it. Listen to Peter Dinklage. We're in a crypt. Nobody thought of that. He's bringing all the dead people back to life, and they put the women and children in a crypt with all the dead people. So, brah. Tyrion is smart, but I guess not that smart. That was Peter Dinklage, or as you know him, Tyrion Lannister. And that's just one clip. I've got many, many more. The actors are taking a dump on it, people. Come on! What are your feelings on Danny and where we find her now, Maester Daniel? As in, you were never much of a fan of the Mad Queen turn. No. There's no real redemptive place for her anymore. There's only one place for her story to go, and that's either she murders everyone and rules, or she dies. It's going to be probably Arya or Jon. Um, I don't think Arya's left. I think that's another thing. But she's... Now burnt down her ancestral home. Here's the logic that they want to foist upon us in the last season is that Daenerys Targaryen, Stormborn, 
the last Targaryen until just recently she found out, is going to burn down the very capital. The reason it's called King's Landing is because that's where Aegon sailed to. That's the foot, the mouth of Blackwater Bay. When he landed, he said, this is where I will found my kingdom. He landed there with about 2,000 people and dragons, three dragons. When she burned down the Red Keep, she burnt down her ancestral home. The reason it's called the Red Keep is because it was built. Magor's Holdfast, when Clyburn said, hey, we need to get into Magor's Holdfast, that was named after the second Targaryen king, where all the dragon skulls were. She burned all that down to the ground, too. She burned her whole legacy down to the ground. This isn't a it, case of being trendy and joining the mob to crap on Game of Thrones. We've had our issues for a while now, you and I have. And I love, right. love, love Game of Thrones. And that's why season eight for me is such a bummer. Because Danny's madness is a vague plot device that doesn't mean anything. Her descent into madness should have taken at least a full season. And what was it triggered by? John's parentage? Tormund mm. praising John in the Great Hall of Winterfell with Danny there within earshot? Masande losing her head? Rhaegal? She's lost allies before, more than she can count. None of this makes any sense. Danny could have kept the unsullied slaves. She freed them. She could have taken the deal offered to her by the Yunkaiish masters, the Yunkish masters, whatever you say, and had gold yep. and an army to take back with her and her three dragons to Westeros. She chose to stay and free the people of Yunkai and take them on a pilgrimage to break and break the slaver, the whole slave trade. She destabilized entire the entire slave trade in the East. The entire, the entire economy of the East, Bravos included. That's all the free cities, which there are nine of. And you mentioned it. Though she freed, declared her Misa, or mother. She claimed women, as you mentioned, on the verge of being raped by her Dothraki horde as her own and protected them. She chained her own children, her two now-deceased dragons, Viserion and Rhaegal, because one child, one, was burned alive as they flew mm -hmm. across the eastern lands in search of food. A basic instinct of freaking dragons. The mere thought that one innocent child could die by her hand, unintentionally or not, was too much for her to bear. An extraordinary hill turn requires extraordinary storytelling. We've gotten none of that in this final season. She said, I am not here to be the queen of the ashes. In episode two of season seven. I am not here to be queen of the ashes. That's very nice to hear. Of course, I can't remember a queen who was better loved than my granddaughter. The common people loved her. The nobles loved her. And what is left of her now? Ashes. Commoners, nobles, they're all just children, really. They won't obey you unless they fear you. I'm grateful to you, Lady Elena, for your counsel. I'm grateful to all of you. But you have chosen to follow me. I will not attack King's Landing. We will not attack King's Landing. Well, so that was that was what eight episodes ago. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of stuff can make sense with more time and good reasons and clues about a character taking the path they take. And by clues, I mean not just saying that this may happen just a moment before. There's no shame in critiquing something you love. And for many, many, many of us out there, book loyalists or not. These final six episodes, save for episode two, have been nothing short of criminal in its treatment of what I believe are beloved characters. They just don't have any, they don't care how they finish it. They just, we're going to hit the bullet points 
they were going to do, they were throwing some fan service like Clegane Bowl. They felt like they had to do that. They felt like they had to have Aria have her big moments. But all these moments are undermined by their own writing because are you really concerned for Aria in the moment of her running, racing through the streets of King's Landing? Yeah, there was no chance she was going to die. She just murdered Ice Satan, the big big boss with the the crown of ice on his head. She snuck past, I don't know. 20,000 zombies, all of the White Walkers, all 99 of them. And now we're supposed to have a bunch of concussion fakeouts. How many times she's going to get hit on the head or survive an explosion and run away? Are you? Did you feel any tension in that moment? They said they had to humanize her. You know, they want to humanize the moment. Have it be Davos. He grew up in King's Landing. He grew up in Flea Bottom. That just made him a success story. Another character that he just completely just shunted to the side like all the other smart characters, Tyrion, Davos, Ferris, they're all stupid. And so Arya's stupid too. Arya goes all the way to King's Landing and she's been about death and she's talked about death all the time, but she makes up her mind right when she's 20 feet from Cersei. Everyone dying but Arya is too perfect though. She's become the goddess of plot armor. What was the point of sending her to King's Landing? Like, What's the point? I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I actually don't know. Um, besides killing Daenerys, that's the only reason I think to keep her around. I think her riding off is probably up. That would want to keep it interesting. Get that little head fake in. Here's what happened. I'm getting on my soapbox again. Sorry. The showrunners needed their queen to go mad, so she did. And while the notion that power corrupts has always really been at the heart of this story, the way it manifests itself here feels like a simplification of the show and its ideas, as opposed to a culmination of its larger journey. And I can already hear the rebuttals here. Ben, she's the mad queen like her dad. Ned Stark executed plenty of people in his day. So did Tywin Lannister. He executed the the, the very man who was going to warn the entire king, who warned the entire seven kingdoms about the White Walkers. Right. Tywin Lannister executed people. Robert Baratheon built his entire empire on executing people rob stark john snow the only the only one who i would argue against is robert baratheon robert baratheon was famous for beating people in battle forgiving the lords of their crimes and then convincing them to fight for him they said he was amazing in battle there was two things that robert baratheon the king the real the true king of westeros who had the most peaceful rule that you've ever witnessed in the show or the books is that he brought peace for 19 years or whatever, however length they want to say it is in the show. Cause time is apparently fluid now, but, uh, he, he never, he never really executed I me. Mean, he executed people. Obviously it's why he had Sir Ellen Payne. It's why he had all the guys like Barrison Selmy. He pardoned Barrison Selmy. Barrison Selmy lost him on the, in, on the trial. He bent the knee and he forgave him. He could have killed Barrison Selmy. Barrison Selmy fought bravely and he fought nobly, but he also killed many, many Lords. Stannis, Wanted to execute him, especially shows how mean Stannis is. But there was something in Robert Baratheon that he believed in honor and an honorable fight. And that was one of the things that he respected. So he forgave him. And Barristan was loyal to him to the very end. Tried to protect him to the very end. Barristan's a great example. Characters who they don't care about and they shunt them to the side. No, and the actor who played Barristan Selmy made a plea to them not to kill him. That he had service to the story left in his arc and they laughed at him. They laughed at him to the showrunners and had more motivation to kill him even more, which should tell you all you need to know about these dudes. 
I agree. Boone, she executed Sam's dad and brother, Randall and Dick on Tarly. They should have been the knee. She had reasons. She had her reasons. So it's not like there was a disconnect between her. There's foreshadowing, obviously. There's a huge jump between executing prisoners of war and their refusal to recognize your authority. Right. Like literally every main character we've seen, including Ned Stark, the most honorable man anybody's ever seen. It's another one of those things that you're never going to get. Whenever it's just reasons, man, just reasons. Right, it's That's reasons all. because Randall and Dickon they refused her order to bend the knee after literally fighting a battle against her. She offered them the chance to live, and they declined. Remember when John hung a child younger than Bran? I'm tired of fighting. It's all I've done since I left home. I've killed brothers of the Night's Watch. I've killed wildlings. I've killed men that I admire. I hanged a boy younger than Bran. I've fought. And I lost. Ollie was an impressionable orphan child who was manipulated by older men to aid in their dirty work. After his family had been murdered. Right. Or remember when John took Jano Slint's head because he refused John's order to go to Greyguard? Was he, quote, mad? Danny's entire arc is her balancing her gentle heart with her violent tendencies. She does have an underlying ruthless nature, that's true, but that doesn't mean she's going to massacre innocent people. Yes, she's executed the wise masters of Yunkai, but they were slave owners who murdered and hung up hundreds of children. Children to prove a point. Danny yes. was always directing her anger and hatred towards people who deserve it. She's never had the compulsion to massacre innocent people. It's such a jump, which is why even casual viewers felt a disconnect about it. It's why it's going to be probably the worst rated episode, because you don't ever see her progress to doing that. I'm not saying that madness isn't brought on by sudden things. All madness is. If you're familiar with any type of psychology, it's a sudden change in behavior. Her behavior has literally, to this point, never been about that. She's gone out of her way to protect the citizens over and over and over again. And like you previously quoted, only 10 short episodes ago, she was saying the complete opposite and doing everything in her power not to. If she'd have done what she did in this episode and flown it to the Red Keep and burned everybody, they could have avoided any of this. Why? And this is the thing that is so bothersome. Why was she so focused on getting the throne afterwards? Why didn't anybody game plan? You couldn't have had a war council suggested that when when all three of your council members were alive, your small council still, Varys knew about that secret passage, Tyrion knew about that secret passage, and Davos knew about that secret passage. You couldn't send, oh, I don't know, a super secret assassin who killed Hades himself <laughs> up the secret passageway yeah. into a room she's already been into because she got lost there in season one, stab Cersei, her entire power base crumbles, and you go in, and there are zero casualties. Where did all our smart? Where did all our smart planning go? Right, because all the characters are made to be idiots. If you wanted to take King's Landing with few, if no casualties, outside of the principles, let Arya—I don't know—wear a face and go kill Cersei. She wiped out House Frey by herself, and Bran can see everything. They defeated the apocalypse together. Surely, all these brilliant, heroic people could have used their skills to kill Cersei safely. They could have come up with something to defeat her while minimizing casualties. But no, the writers had to service the plot. Danny didn't have to just burn everything and 
That's why it's plot contrivance of the worst kind. You mentioned it earlier, too. We don't see anybody else besides the main player. Cersei is standing in a window, but we don't see any of the common people until literally this episode with the two little people who Arya ends up watching die. You don't see the common people revolting against Cersei. Where are the consequences? They were starving in season five when that's why the Sparrow gained the power in the first place. They had to have the Tyrell grain. They had to have all these supplies. And you saw the effects of what that was doing to the people. You Do you see any effect from Cersei blowing up the Sept of Baylor besides them warping King's Landing to another geographic location? You made a great point when we were talking about this earlier this week. Why would the Iron Bank support her? She had, they have no incentive. They have no, she has no power base. They worship she, the Seven. The whole idea that they would lend this money to her because she paid back her debt when they know that there's stuff happening in the North, too. They know, they know where Daenerys is at all times. She just sailed the biggest fleet the world has ever seen across the continent to her family's ancestral home, Dragonstone, where the, the Valerian freeholds, the most westernmost outposts of, they know, they knew what was coming. They knew that there was more upheaval. They wouldn't front her an entire army, including elephants, if they would have never made the journey. It's silly, but they just make the plot do what they need it to do. Right, and the root of the problem for Danny is in the choice. Danny doesn't need to burn down King's Landing but she chooses to do so Why anyway. Would she, but, and that's, that's the thing. Why would she, and I understand you talk about what madness is. You want to define what insanity is and why she would do the things that she does in this episode. But she, from the very first season, which they talk, when her and Viserys talk about being a dragon, that city is built by dragons. It is the city. It's named after Aegon, the conqueror, the very first king of your name, and you're going to burn down his entire legacy. Magor, his son, built the castle that you're burning down. The keep was built for Oris Baratheon, who was a bastard brother of Aegon, who found in Has Baratheon and went to Storm's End. He was handed the king because of the hand of the tower. That, that tower that she blew up was the hand of the king, tower of the hand of the king. Cersei destroys it in the books. It's actually so Cersei's madness. It's when the, the whole Sept of Baylor idea and the reason that book readers kind of had an inkling of whether, where they were going in season six when they started foreshadowing the wildfires. So she actually burns the tower of the, hand, the, of the hand of the king because she feels like her father should be the last one. He was the best of all of them. So she burns it in wildfire. And she gets aroused by the wildfire. And that's what shows her descent into the Mad Queen, the first Mad Queen. Which is why I don't think Daenerys' turn, it happens more gradually in the books, obviously, if you ever get them. I don't think we're going to get them. That's 2,000 or 2,500 pages that I don't think we'll ever see the light of day, if that's not obvious by now. Because if you can't pounce on the popularity now, as you alluded to earlier, there's no time better to strike than right now. He would sell 20 million copies tomorrow if he announced. But he said that on his blog that they're going to get done. There's too much money left on the table. He wants to make the money. The publishers want to make the money. They're going to make the money. The question is whether or not George R. R. Martin is going to be able to um, reap the benefits of that my money. Sweet, sweet summer child. The long night hasn't come for you yet. Yeah, you read okay, look, look, let's, let's get back on track here. Innocent <clears throat> men, women, children had and have absolutely nothing to do with the atrocities Danny faced. These people didn't refuse no. her claim. They didn't diminish her claim. The North did, no doubt, but Danny 
at least in King's Landing, has all the support. There was absolutely no support for Cersei, as you alluded to. Who would support her? Danny chooses to burn King's Landing after the bells of surrender ring out. The Lannister soldiers have thrown down their weapons. The war is won. In the inside of the episode, Weiss said, quote, It's in that moment, staring at the Red Keep on the walls of King's Landing, when she's looking at the symbol of everything that was taken from her, that she decides to make this personal. Then fly to the Red Keep and burn it down with Cersei inside. I don't think she decided ahead of time that she was going to do what she did. And then she sees the Red Keep, which is to her the home that her family built when they first came over to this country 300 years ago. It's in that moment on, on the walls of King's Landing when she's looking at that symbol of everything that was taken from her when she makes the decision to, to make this personal. That's the dumbest justification. That's why I don't watch the inside of the episodes because I knew it'd be filled with dumb justifications like that. The sight of what was taken from her, that has been her life's goal. She literally said that. You wrote the dialogue that said, all I've ever known is the Iron Throne. Why would she burn it down around him then? I spent my life in foreign lands. So many men have tried to kill me. I don't remember all their names. I have been sold like a brood mare. I've been shamed and betrayed, raped and defiled. Do you know what kept me standing through all those years in exile? Faith. Not in any gods. Not in myths and legends. In myself. In Daenerys Targaryen. The world hadn't seen a dragon in centuries until my children were born. The Dothraki hadn't crossed the sea. Any sea. They did for me. I was born to rule the Seven Kingdoms. And I will. Why would she say those words? if she was going to go nuts and burn it down? Is it dramatic irony to them? Or are they just dumb? Or more likely, the more likely of the scenarios is they just don't care. They disregard whatever rules they previously established. And you, if you've listened to this podcast, you've heard me say they broke their own internal continuity. This is one of those examples. The Bells are one of the examples, the titled episode. In season two, when the Battle of the Blackwater happens, Davos's son says, are they ringing the bells for Stannis, paraphrasing obviously, and he says, I've never known bells to mean surrender. Is that welcoming the new king? I've never known bells to mean surrender. They want to play music with us, let's play drums. Do we forget that you wrote that? You wrote that too. You were there. So either you don't care or you just are going to say, screw it. And we can do whatever we want, which I think is probably a combination of a couple of those. When did the bells become a thing? The writers have just created plot devices and conflicts out of thin air. 
have we ever heard about the bells before? Or like how many buildings have to fall on Arya before she stays down. The bells is somehow both fan service, and the bells meaning the episode, both fan service and an indulgence in all the worst tropes that a lot of fans like you and me hate. Yeah, and they didn't have to give us battles. We mentioned it earlier, too. They didn't show half of the battles in the first two seasons until Battle of the Blackwater because of the exact same thing. They had to work working with a smaller budget, and the battles weren't the, with the thing. It was the political intrigue and the, the maneuvering afterwards. You could still do that here. You don't have to show 40 minutes of her burning the city down. They talk about battle fatigue. They've talked about it before, how battle fatigue, it's not just a on the battlefield kind of thing. If you're watching something, you, you don't, it's gratuitous. We see Daenerys make that face after the bells ring at about, I don't know, 35 minutes, would you say? Right around 30 minutes? Yeah, something like that. Do you ever see her face again? Right, and that's one of the complaints I have. I, I want to touch on a few other points here because we've got to get to some rapid wildfire questions, a bunch of okay. other issues with the episode, and good points. Again, I, I was entertained by it, but as an episode of Game of Thrones... It's harder for me. It's harder for me to accept some things. The whole making it personal motivation just doesn't wash at all. If you burn the Red Keep, some innocence there would be lost. But the casualties would have been minimized. Her family built the Red Keep 300 years ago. It's hers by right. But make it personal by murdering thousands of innocent people that Cersei never even cared about. The same people that Jamie saved from her own father's rage. It's garbage. Mm -hmm. All of it. The well, show, yeah, that, but the show you, forgot you, about the empathy that has been as fundamental to Danny's character as her ruthlessness. She isn't the breaker of chains for nothing. I agree, but they you just mentioned Jamie, they ruined his empathy too. That scene in the in the tub with Brienne in season three when he talks about how the reason he murdered Ares in the first place was because that Ares was going to burn down King's Landing. Would would Brinley, would she do the same to Brinley? Brinley was going to do that. She's due to save. And then he says he doesn't care. He's going to go back to Dallas Cersei. Right. When did Jamie stop caring about innocence? He earned his moniker of Kingslayer because he saved King's Landing from the Mad King. Now he's telling Tyrion he doesn't care anymore. To be honest, I never really cared much for them, innocent or otherwise. Uh, Jamie, this is what... You said to Brienne in the bathtub at Heron Hall in season three. This is what he said. He told me to bring him my father's head. Then he turned to his pyromancer. Burn them all, he said. Burn them in their homes, burn them in their beds. Tell me if your precious Brandy commanded you to kill your own father and stand by while thousands of men, women, and children burned alive. Would you have done it? Would you have kept your oath then? Now he's saying he doesn't care. It goes back to mm-hmm. something you've said repeatedly on this podcast for weeks. It's like they don't even watch their own show. They just have disregard for or contempt. It even seems like they're doing stuff to thumb their nose at the audience. And I said that. A lot of people have obviously picked on the same thing. It's not a original fault just by me. It's been noticed by a lot of people. They're doing these things to just to trick us. And we talked about it earlier that they do it through this kind of gotcha storytelling. You didn't see that coming storytelling. It's hackish. They even said that themes are for eighth grade book projects at one point. 
So they 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 show, they show their disdain for basic storytelling. Why would they care about continuity at this point? They just decided on their own that they want to do something else. Which, hey, that's their right as Americans. That's their right as people. But if you didn't want to do this forever, you should have given it up. Because now their legacy is going to be tarnished. There's no doubt about it. There's nothing this last episode is going to do. And it wasn't going to be pleasing to everyone anyway. Let's get that out of the way before we continue to complain about this episode. It was never going to please everyone. But what they've done is bankrupted their own brand by these last 13 episodes. And that's really it was really difficult to do that to such something like you alluded to was the cultural phenomenon. Something that hasn't happened in a long, long time. Anyone defending Jamie's about face regarding innocence, being that Jamie only killed the Mad King because the Mad King ordered Jamie to kill Tywin and that Jamie never cared about the small folk, I implore you to read the books, to see Jamie Lannister's character arc done properly. Like he stained his honor forever to save everyone in King's Landing from being burned, and now he just doesn't care that they're all going to be burned. Just put me out of my misery in this. Like our boy Bobby B said, man, just give me something for the pain and let me die. Let me die. In one <laughs> afternoon, Danny became the tyrant she came to destroy. It would have helped to have seen her face as she rode Drogon and laid waste to King's Landing. What was she feeling? Was she conflicted? What was her motivation other than that of scorned lover and friend mourner? Was she in a rage? Was she tormented by what she was doing? Keeping her hidden kind of felt like a cop-out. And the end is depressing for her seven seasons. She's risen to power. She goes crazy in, what, like two episodes? And she's 100% going to get killed in the finale. George R. R. Martin always said his ending to Game of Thrones would be bittersweet. But this is not bittersweet. This is completely nihilistic. And that's what cheapens all the emotional moments, too. You said, you said that earlier when we spoke this week, is that do you care? Do you honestly care about what's going to happen at the end? Because you, you, you see the corner they've written themselves into. And any shock value that we would have had has been completely undermined by this succession of ridiculous plot devices. Rhaegal's death, Masande's death, the fact that Euron gradually washes up at the exact same spot as Jamie Lannister. Did anybody look at that and not laugh? It's eye-rollingly bad. And why are they fighting did anybody, can anybody explain that to me? No, and I have questions about that, and that'll come in rapid wildfire questions. We also got some questions from Twitter for Mr. Baffled. Daniel, so we'll answer your questions as well. Touching back on Danny, the only explanation for Danny's abrupt turn, an explanation we, of course, have to come up with ourselves off screen, and we have to dismiss the words of Weiss and Benioff to do it, is Danny didn't want King's Landing to surrender. She wanted fire and blood. She always did, and always had to be talked down. The bills meant that... She would never get to burn down the city. It was the straw that, in effect, broke the camel's back, and she decided she was going to be queen of the ashes. But that explanation is insufficient. Maybe she didn't trust the surrender. I don't know. I know I'm reaching. Which is, that's fine. That's fine. Not trusting the surrender would be the smart move, because there's many times that Cersei has betrayed her. Why would she ever trust that? Right. Flopped, thread, keep, tortured anyway. Let's take a moment to acknowledge, quite confidently, that Danny going mad and John killing her, or Arya, will be the book ending too. George R. R. Martin helped craft Bran's vision for the show, 
In his original script read, the shadow of a dragon passes across the rooftops of a great city, which of course is King's Landing, where Bran has never been. This is his ultimate vision, and it's another nice bit of symmetry. The first glimpse of a dragon over King's Landing turned out to be the shadow of Drogon here. The vision appeared to Bran in Season 4, Episode 2, The Lion and the Rose, and that was written by George R. R. Martin. Again, we all experience these serialized artistic mediums in interesting ways. I think this is Martin's trajectory for Danny, but we can debate how the show's handled it. I also think it's supposed to frustrate or anger you, but context and nuance, the things that separated Game of Thrones, the television show, as art, they matter. And that's where the issue comes from. They didn't show her regression as character in the, in the show like they did in the books. I've told you multiple times before you even started watching the show how much her chapters... If I ever reread the books, I'll usually just kind of skip over them. They really don't do me any good. I'll read her ones in dance because that's when she starts moving. That's when she decides that she's going to be a dragon. And when she gets found by one of Khal Drogo's former um, blood riders who has formed his own Kalasar, who's and that's the scene in season five when she's surrounded and she drops her little bangle. You know, you do remember this? When the Dothraki find her to take her prisoner. Yeah, okay. When that happens, that's the last time you see Daenerys. She's, and Drogon is standing over her as these horses are finding her. That's when she really embraces her, what she's going to do. That's only, and they have not shown her regression, how bad she is a Marine. They kind of did with his dar, Zolorak, the man of the year, but they didn't quite get into the, how badly she did as a ruler there and her resentment, what the kind of resentment that built up. They didn't show any of that because they still presented her as a hero and they didn't, they kind of just forgot about us. So she left Marine in the hands of Darian Naharis. Who do you think Darian Naharis cares about Marine? <laughs> He's a sellsword. And all of a sudden they, she made him King of, and then everybody's just said, okay, are we supposed to assume that the whole slavery Bay is just fine now? Are we ever going to hear about Daria Naharis again, man? Oh, of course not. Never. We're never going to hear about it. Again. More on George R. R. Martin's vision. He'll bring context and nuance if he ever yes. gets around to finishing mm-hmm. the series on his own terms. In Dance with Dragons, Danny consents to, and you can correct me here, Skahaz. I think it's his name. Skahaz? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the shave pate. You can, this is what they call him. Okay, torturing the daughters of a wine cellar suspected of aiding the sons of the harpy in murdering. Yes. Relona Ray, one of her freed women. She's turned paranoid and violent before. Maybe Wildfire is involved when she toasts King's Landing in the books, but she sure as heck isn't going to go mad because the bells ring out and she's got a broken heart. This is what uh, I think a crucial element, the fake Aegon storyline that comes from A Dance with Dragons, which I hated when it first was released. But now I understand why George put it in there. I think that Aegon, that this Aegon, will get married to the current princess of Dorne, the who's heir to Sunspear. And I think he will control most of King's Landing. I think he'll be very popular. There's a scene in the House of the Undying in the books where Danny sees a dragon, uh, a mummer's dragon on poles being cheered on by a crowd, which means a fake dragon. And the people have taken that to mean this Aegon, fake Aegon character. So I think that he'll be on the throne instead of Cersei in the books. She'll end up burning it. Like either he gets a dragon or Euron gets a dragon and they fight and that helps ignite the city. And she ends up burning it with wildfire and dragonfire un- unintentionally. But that causes her madness to dis- further descend 
after she's lost whatever. But see, I don't think we're going to get the books. So we can speculate. That's another thing. We could speculate together for that for hours, but it's not going to matter. It illustrates again and highlights again how they sliced and diced so many of the most important storylines, even back in season five, to try to get to this point that they just disregarded any kind of logic when it came to the plot. I just expect a more ambitious and compelling narrative from George R. R. Martin in the books. Danny burning the city was expected. That's not the issue. It's how they got there. Another issue is the Dothraki unsullied Northmen murdering so many innocent people. Grey Worm has and never would act so sadistically. And if he hadn't thrown the spear into the surrendered Lannister soldier, he probably would have saved thousands of lives. The actual plot isn't bad. The writing is. I bet the books will go over it in much better detail. And, and, they already, they, and, they've st- and I, know, I see where you're going, too, so I'll let you finish your point, though. Danny saved the world by voluntarily sacrificing almost her entire army and one of her dragons. Another of her children died, and all she lost was because of her followers, advisors, and their terrible, terrible advice. She was driven air quotes mad and will soon be killed by her lover. And can we roll our eyes back as far as we can into our heads that Danny did more damage with one dragon than she's ever done with three. One dragon. Yes. One dragon took out Euron's entire fleet, the Golden Company, and the Ballista Force, but couldn't do jack shit last episode. It's another internal, we talk about internal She forgot about the Iron Fleet, Maester Daniel. She forgot, remember. The, uh, the Iron Bolts are three for three hitting a dragon in the air from hotel who knows science doesn't matter logic doesn't matter so just throw out how high he is from a boat that was moving they all know they all know that all those boats and all those stationary ballistas not only can't reload as fast anymore but they also are extremely inaccurate they turn into stormtroopers it just further illustrates how they just disregard something that's that goes against their logic they're just like ah that's okay just have a miss and then her whole fleet is wiped out. It's a great shot of her flying low over the water and then Drogon hopping up and then torching the ballistas. That's incredible, incredible cinematography. Yeah. And the FX on the dragons themselves are literal insanity. But it's such bad storytelling that it diminishes any of those. I've never seen this type of effort made to do this kind of production and then the writing be just as bad. Even even George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, when they remade, when they made the fourth uh, Indiana Jones, and then they did the Star Wars prequels, nothing is as bad as as bad as they've done these last thirteen episodes. Deadspin had an article that I liked a lot about how they could have made Danny's choice more tragic than it was. Have Euron take out the fleet of boats in Episode Four, but not kill Rhaegal. So John and Rhaegal and Danny and Drogon easily wipe out King's Landing, just as it happened in Episode Five. The bells ring out, the war is won, but Euron, with the undestroyed, static scorpion, shoots Rhaegal through the eye. And that's the way they killed dragons in the books. It wasn't some quick shot to the neck. So shoot him through the eye, he dies, John falls, Danny thinks she's lost one of her children and the love of her life. John lives, of course, but it sets her off. Boom! I, I don't read Deadspin for many reasons, but... Oh, I don't either. But I'll disagree. But I'll disagree with him on this on this point because I would rather have it be unprovoked madness like that, like like Daenerys did. Something's just you know her just going at it. If she just started torching King Landing at the beginning, I would have had no problem with it. When she's burning the ballista, she's also burning the, the streets. The people are like, and you know, 
That's it's kind more of the first accidental step. than I just like the idea of a tragic turn more than well, this. Well, this, 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 this is not this is this is the reason I said that is because if you keep Rhaegal alive, let's just, let's don't kill Rhaegal. You have John on top of Rhaegal, and they take out the ballistas themselves, and then Daenerys starts is instead of just going after the ballistas, you see her torching the city. So John's atop Rhaegal, and uh, Daenerys is on top of Drogon. And so he tries to stop her on top of, and we have their own dance of dragons. And so then the tragic burning of King's Landing happens, and she kills one of her own because Rhaegal's bonded to John. She causes that death. Is that not tragic and crazy? Would that not drive her even further and deeper into madness? You don't have to change that much. Yeah, just it, a, a way that makes it a tragic choice more than. But see, that's a tra- that's a tragic choice. If you're not going to kill. Rhaegal versus his own brother and have Euron kill him. To make Euron a threat and then have him die by Jamie Lannister's hand cheapens Rhaegal's death. Moving it to episode 5 would have made more sense, but, you know, they just don't care. Drogon burned 20,000 Golden Company soldiers in one fell sloop. Where was this Drogon when the living faced off with the army of the dead? He did so much damage. Viserion should have easily taken out Winterfell then. Because Drogon has unreal endurance. How much fire can one dragon breathe? He didn't need to refuel. Where was all this coming from? Viserion was a reanimated zombie dragon that doesn't tire. If Drogon has that kind of endurance, what does a dead dragon, what kind of endurance does he have? He should have wiped out the living with ease. Well, why was he staying above the crowd the whole time? He could have killed... The entire Dothraki army before they even got into his main body of his army, like you know, they obviously were effective because half of them lived apparently. Right, right. And the scorpion bolts can't hit a dragon all of a sudden. Yet they nailed Rhaegal multiple times from an even further distance. And like I said, I don't, I don't want to be repetitive. We got a lot of stuff to cover to finish this out. But it's like the writers and directors just said, "Screw it, let's burn it all down." The scorpions proved utterly useless against Danny despite her attacking on a sunny day when there were dozens of these things loaded. And apparently still waters, too. Right. Don't forget that. And loaded, ready to fire at the first sound of flapping, leathery wings. She handled them totally fine. No dragon armor, nothing. And then she goes on to murder everyone indiscriminately. Even if George R. R. Martin is setting it up in the books, she's not just going to flip a switch one day because of bells. She murders everyone for no reason. Go to the Red Keep if it's personal. This is the same Danny who had slaves she freed, lift her up in the air, call her mother, Misa, and now she's setting the streets on fire. Her enemy threw down their swords and she butchered them. What did the people of King's Landing have to do with anything that she was fighting for? Why does Nothing. she hate them? I get hating Cersei and wanting to kill her. Cool, destroy the Red Keep. I guess we're going to find out what her motivations are going to be. At we the, won't. Uh, next we week. won't. Well, well, it'll be uh, a shortened version, a truncated version. I hope you're right. Enough about Danny. Enough about Danny. I must say, on the bright side, before we get to rapid wildfire questions, Alaria Sand no longer has to look at her decaying daughter every day, and Septa well, Olena finally gets to meet the gods. I don't know. I think they'll probably, the shoes in the black cells, they probably wouldn't keep going late lighting that torch after a while. I think they would just let it go out, make yeah. her go crazy. Yeah. It's time for some rapid wildfire questions, including a few from our listeners on Twitter. First, okay, well, it happened. Jamie went back to Cersei just to die with her. Anyone who listened to the podcast last week knows how I feel about the show's handling of Jamie's story arc. But 
Now that the book has closed on Jamie and Cersei, what are your thoughts on how they went out and the story the show at least told of them, including perhaps an interesting take on the Valencore prophecy, if we want to give these showrunners any marks for creativity? Because I would have preferred that Jamie and Cersei be roasted by Danny and Drogon, not just be buried and crushed under the Red Keep. I understand the symbolism, but it feels so anticlimactic. But anyway, the handling of Jamie and Cersei, your thoughts, Maester Daniel? I thought Cersei was great all the way until this season. She really didn't have anything to do this season. I mean, nothing. But Jamie's was, of course, what a waste of a character. I mean, he didn't have any growth, obviously, from season one, episode one until now. So it, it makes me chuckle that he's di- he's dying that way. To tell you how dumb this this stuff is, when he leaves Cersei last season, say in season seven, which would be, I guess, three years ago now, he wraps his golden hand ostensibly to, to not be recognized on the road. Okay, but he's not going to. The reason that the Daenerys' forces caught him is because he didn't do it this time. Why are they dumb? Why are these characters dumb all of a sudden? That's, I guess, what my overarching point is. Yeah, I don't. So you don't, you don't, you don't handle that well. But you handle Cersei well. You made her the big bad guy, but then you don't give her the big bad guy moments. You have her stand there and watch her city get burned to the ground. And if that's dramatic irony to you to have the thing that she wanted the most, power crumble around her, great. But she's also in the arms of her lover, so she gets kind of redeemed. What is that? That There's no satisfaction at all. That's why I think they're trolling the fans, because this is not bittersweet by any measure for anyone. It's No one is pleased. There have been many of our friends and many of our family members, and I have not talked to a single person who is satisfied in any, in any shape, form, or fashion. Even Arya fans. Even Arya fans who will defend her to the death are, are saying... How many times are we going to watch this girl to get knocked down only to get up and run scarily again? The plot armor you mentioned. The way they handle things is in the most ham-fisted way possible, haphazard way possible. Number two, Jamie and Tyrion have a nice moment. Tyrion releases Jamie from Danny's grasp. Callback to when Jamie gave Tyrion his life back, Tyrion giving Jamie his life back. But once Danny starts torching King's Landing, why doesn't Tyrion take his own advice? And like he instructs Jamie and Cersei to do, get out. What was his end game on releasing Jamie? Because Danny will undoubtedly execute him if and when she discovers he's allowed Jamie and Cersei to escape the Pentos. He should know that. She told him straight up, the next time you film me, I'll execute you. Your brother was stopped trying to get past our lines. It seems he hasn't abandoned your sister after all. Next time you fail me, will be the last time you fail me. No king or queen would ever accept treason. Rob beheaded his own bannerman and his own relation because of a similar event. So what's the end game? I mean, I really don't understand Tyrion. The <laughs> way they've done, they've, they've done the way they've done him and the small council down doesn't make any sense. Literally, every move he's made has backfired. It was his plan to go beyond the wall. Your favorite episode. It was his plan to not burn King's Landing immediately. It was his advice that made Daenerys have a, a heart. It was his advice that knocked down the wall. It was his advice, his worried, him worrying about John Daenerys falling in love that causes tension in the first place, this fake John and Daenerys crap. It's not, that, that's what's not earned about it either, is that John and Daenerys' love story 
if we're going back to Danny, because it always goes back to Danny in this in, in this episode, which will be known as the Mad Queen episode forever, probably. That turn for John is not going to be as impactful because they only fell in love the last episode of season seven. <laughs> that was only five, six episodes ago. So it's not five hours of television ago isn't long enough for us to process this relationship. Yeah. These guys and, and you know, Millie Clark and Jon Snow are have chemistry. But we never get them to see fall in love. All they say is I, they don't get enough time together to show how much they love each other. Daenerys is my queen. He's turned into uh, um, a side character. Daenerys is our queen. He's going to be the next now it ends like they did for the fake, you know, the uh, young Ned Stark mm. from the Tower of Joy scene. They also butchered. Number three, another loaded question: What in the seven hells was Jamie's plan? <laughs> did he seriously want to run back to Cersei? After she literally hired someone, Bronn, to kill him. That's Bronn's entire arc this season. And the yes. framing of their death being tragic was really weird. She says to Jamie upon seeing him, Oh, you're bleeding. Dude, you hired a hitman to kill him. You know what's crazy? They made Cersei, freaking Cersei Lannister, a far more sympathetic figure than Daenerys Targaryen. Her story has been well and fully told. But we're supposed to be moved by Cersei's vulnerability after we've seen her so steadfast at committing the same kind of atrocities that just turned Danny into a villain. Danny's arc has turned into a hasty mess at the end. What was Jamie's plan exactly? There was no plan. There was just a, a plot device to get him in Cersei's. It was fan service. Because they thought, okay, the fans want to see Cersei and Jamie die together. How can we make that unexpected? Oh, they die in each other's arms as the building collapses around them. See, they did something you weren't expecting. You were expecting some drawn-out death, her being executed by Daenerys or Jon or someone like the Sansa or any of the people that could – any of the number of people that could have executed her. Oh, and you could have wrapped Tyrion and the Lannisters all in one big happy package. That would have been ironic for Tyrion having to be executed next to his brother and his sister after all the crap they talked about each other. See, but they didn't do that. They made him all stupid. And then they made her cry at the end after being so stoic. See, she didn't die at the hand of the little brother. She died in the arms of the little brother. Well, this is technically the way that prophecy is worded. It's in prophecy so vague anyway. The Valenquar, especially because Valyrian is um, based their stuff on dragons because they're Valyrians. Dragons are unisex. They are both male and female. They can both bear and just make eggs. Um, so the word is gender neutral. So it could be just younger sibling is more ac- is a more accurate term. I think I explained this. If you've ever listened to this podcast, I've probably explained this multiple times. But that means it could be Arya. It could have been Danny. It could have been John since he was born after Rob. It could have been any number of people. But most people thought it would be either Tyrion or Jamie, obviously. And so having Cersei die by Arya or Daenerys' hands... Those two people are, what, third and fourth in the polls if we're talking about it? So I don't mind Danny killing them, but show her execute them as opposed to them dying underneath the crypts. Yeah. But see, convoluted as it was, them dying together was actually pretty great for me. It's mentioned they will die together in a song of ice and fire. Jamie said he wanted to die in the arms of the woman he loves. Okay, fine, he's always loved her. At this point, I pick my battles with Game of Thrones. But pacing has been a major problem with this show for two seasons. They didn't need 
to go this fast, but the showrunners were ready to move on to Star Wars. They ignored HBO's blank check, desire for more episodes. But a result of that is Jamie's I wish I'd never known known that, that HBO wanted to give them more episodes. Yeah, me either. But a result of that pacing, wanting to move quickly, is that Jamie's turn in episode four is both jarring and unearned, ultimately rendering Jamie's arc a circle. He falls in love with Brienne, they consummate the relationship, and then within 30 minutes... He's turned his back on her. He says something hateful to her and goes back to Cersei. What did Cersei ever do for Jaime? He just died as her pawn. And wait a second. So Cersei was really pregnant then. She was like 50 months pregnant and never showed. Good for her. Gilly is now pregnant enough for Jon Snow to notice from a hug. Yeah. But Cersei, who's been announced pregnant far back, hasn't progressed at all. Again, they don't even watch their own show, man. They just don't. They just don't. They just don't care. That's probably. They probably don't care. Some rapid wildfire questions from Twitter. Number four, from Chris Ritchie at Rep Ritchie. If George R. R. Martin finishes the books, doubtful. With the same Mad Queen narrative, does it redeem the TV series? No, it doesn't. It doesn't excuse the way they got there and the journey that they, that we got there. That matters just as much as the destination, the things that we love, any story that we love, be it any medium or genre. It has to be coherent and follow its own internal consistency, its own internal rules. And they have broken so many of those in service of what they consider the important things has destroyed their story here at the finish line. They're not able to push this across the finish line. They talked about it wanting to be in the Pantheon. You know, they were the one debate whether it's an A or A plus. They're never going to get there because of what they did, the, the, the hatchet job they did to this, these storylines and to these characters and what they've done to all of our favorite characters. And the reason the animosity from the actors is there, the animosity from the fan base is there, and just not just hardcore people like us, it's casual fans too. It's so popular to hate on Game of Thrones that people are being, contrarian just tried to try to get something positive out of it and there are many many positive things we got to watch clagane bulls the, the ultimate fan service the only nitpick i had about that is the same reason i had about Dorne. who do they hire to hire these fights having them fighting in a staircase is a great idea i don't mind quivering down that way he is discarded like he was picked up on a pile of dead bodies just like rob stark who rescued him i didn't mind that i like that they died together but it's ironic that he died in fire. And can we talk about how Quiburn made an invincible zombie? That would have been nice to see the Night King have. Somebody like the Robert Strong, Sir yeah. Robert Strong. Number five rapid wildfire question comes from Ethan Helms, at Ethan Helms on Twitter. Danny gets Dragon to destroy everyone left in the show. Dragon turns and eats her. Roll credits. Thoughts? You know what? Uh, it's better than what I think we're going to get, unfortunately. <laughs> That'd be kind of great. There's a lot of different things, a lot of different things. If they want to be nihilistic, really nihilistic. Number six comes from Hunter Kinneberg at Hunt Kinneberg on Twitter. Could John be the new king, in parentheses, queen slayer, or will it be Arya? Either or. I think it's a coin flip at this point. I'm leaning toward Arya just because that's, again, they're subverting your expectations about who's going to do what in what order. And I think that would probably be the, the one that would subvert your, you know, ours is that she's able to do it again. And it would and be it consistent would with her motivations because she said, we don't trust your queen. John killing Danny would not make sense as far as consistency with his character. So I guess I'm going with John no. because they're not going to follow anything that makes sense. 
Right, which is equally as illogical. Oh, man. Number seven from Corey at Ponatok underscore Rebel on Twitter. Will someone kill Danny? Yes. If so, who? John or Arya? But here's the question. John has to end up on the throne, or is that too obvious an ending? Too obvious, and they're definitely not. The throne is not, I think, that's the real twist, is that the, the throne won't be the throne will be irrelevant. Or they'll do something silly, which is also likely. I've got my idea of what's going to happen. I'll get to it in a minute. Number eight, yeah, this I'll is from Ben. I want to hear that. Yeah, All right. you'll know where I'm going, but here we go. Clegane Bowl. I thought it was great even if we never learned a thing about the magic that animated the mountain and they killed the only not-quite-maester who could have explained it in hilarious fashion, totally wrecking my boy Kyburn, having an ulterior motive theory. But the hound tackling his brother into a pit of fire was the best part of the episode. And I thought a fitting in for Sandor Clegane. The hound was born from a fire pit with the mountain, and he died in a fire pit with the mountain. Hello, big brother. Sir Gregor, stay by my side. Sir Gregor, I command you. Obey your queen, Sir Gregor. Yeah, that's you. That's what you've always been. Did Clegane Bowl live up to what I'm assuming are your lowered expectations? Yes. At least in the, hey, we got that. But, but it had another one of our complaints wrapped up in that is that they kept cutting away from the action, just yeah. like they did in The Long Night. Those These jump cuts. And as good of a director as uh, Miguel Sapochnik, or how you pronounce his last name, is – that's one of the big faults of the, either the editor or himself is that they just kept cutting away from the action. Yeah, let it breathe, man. Let it breathe. Let it breathe. But um, it's still, yes, absolutely. And um, I'm glad we got to see it. I'm glad he got that kind of closure. And I'm glad the Hound, of all these characters, has got a redemption arc. He deserved it more than Theon did. Theon's done just as awful things, even worse things. Some have called Clegane Bowl anticlimactic, but I don't buy that. More anticlimactic than having the long night last one night. I think that's people just jumping on the... I mean, it's easy to jump on the hate bandwagon because there's so much other bad stuff. Yeah, but you can't hate on this. I, I've got a few more points about it. More anticlimactic than having zero White Walkers fight in the last battle or mm-hmm. never even have your biggest villain so much as unsheath his sword, speaking of the Night King. I mean, if you really want to get down to it, the whole season has been anticlimactic. What makes yes. me chuckle is these writers thought it was more important to get an epic Clegane Bowl than to have a significant fight in the long night. That's neither here nor there. The Hound speech to Arya before Clegane Bowl was great. It was touching. Now, how they got to that point, nonsensical, whatever. I'm going to kill her. You think you wanted revenge a long time? I've been after it all my life. It's all I care about. And look at me. Look at me! You want to be like me? You come with me. You die here. Sandal. Thank you. 
couldn't he have done that on the King's Road? I don't. What did they even talk about the whole time? If that uh, was really what they. It, but it, this is the thing: we don't get dialogue anymore. Right. We get where they're going, what they're doing, why they're doing it, and then boom, you're moving on to the next scene. Boom, you're cutting. These guys are working. They're doing. These actors are doing the best they can, and both the Hamlet and Arya obviously love each other. And I'm glad they got to see. You know, they got one last little nice touching moment, even right. though it was sappy. I liked it though. Um, the Hound and Arya talking was well done. It was emotional. The Hound made the choice a long time ago that this is how he's going right. to die. This is what his life would be in service to. He made that decision a long, long time ago. But he has affection for Arya. She still has choices. Her thank you to him was all the acceptance that he needed and had always sought as far as love for someone else. That's as close as it would get. So the Hound died by fire, which was so pure and perfectly pitched. If absurdly plotted when you think about why the hell she was even there in the first place. But why would Arya, and this is the next rapid wildfire question, why would she help those innocent people? Why would she help them? She's a survivor, in theory. And they cheered on Yes, these are the same beheading. people who watched and cheered as Sir Ilian Payne took her father's head. Why would she help them? You're asking the wrong maester. That's what you're really trying to ask. <laughs> okay. I, I, they, they, if I'm trying to justify these writers, which I'm not going to do them any more favors, I did enough of that in season seven. Because I thought they would be able to land this plane and I gave them enough rope and enough to continue the plane metaphor. I gave them enough runway to do it. And they uh, they decided to, to seagull all over it, crap all over it and fly away. Yeah. So I have no sympathy. I don't have no sympathy. I don't try to – you said it last week when you, we were talking about the other reasons that Jamie would go back to kill her. And no, it was the simplest reason to go back to die with her. That's Orkham's razor, man. <laughs> right. Orkham's razor. Yeah. Uh, I will say, I came on last week and said we try not to crap all over it this week. I want to remind you, I did enjoy it for the entertainment value, but as an episode of Game of Thrones, this is what it is. I have to say, and with emphasis, Kyburn's death was hilarious. Yeah, there was no complexity to him. His motivations, one note, stale in the end, but he was killed by his own creation. It's a bummer that there was no back-dealing whatsoever. I was wrong. I thought he had an ulterior motive, but that would have been far more interesting and creative he was saved by rob but died as cersei's lackey but to go out that way pitch perfect in a way i thought but Varys, let's get to Varys. it's ridiculous that Varys would turn on danny so suddenly but that goes back to the problem with pacing he supported her for at least four seasons she said last week she'd burn him alive if he betrayed her and he just walks up to john the master of whisperers like hey john want to commit treason they say every time a Targaryen is born, the gods toss a coin and the world holds its breath. Not much for riddles where I'm from. We both know what she's about to do. That's her decision to make. She is our queen. Men decide where power resides, whether or not they know it. What do you want? All I've ever wanted. The right ruler on the Iron Throne. I still don't know how her coin has landed. But I'm quite certain about yours. They just decided they were. that's what it's going to be. They just wanted to get to that point somehow. Varys has got to die by Daenerys' hand. Okay, we found that out. They work backwards from that as opposed to working up to that. How do we elude or foreshadow that? Or how do we build up to that? They just kind of slam it all in there. The most interesting thing is who is he sending those letters out to? Everybody else. In the, we haven't seen anybody else in the kingdom. They barely mentioned the new Prince of Dorne. Uh, the only other people, they're just going to send it to Sansa. She already knows. 
Where was Dorn <laughs> during what? the fighting? They just decided to abandon Dorn and just complete, completely keep them in the background. Unless somebody from Dorn shows up next episode, obviously. They cast someone as the Prince of Dorn. Okay, so. well, then, then, then good, great. We'll have some other Yahoo in there <laughs> who's not going to have any lines. So, great. Uh, Congratulations. Okay. Where is Varys steering in the books? Where is he going? Uh, he's using his influence. He stayed in King's Landing. He fainted like he was going to go to Essos, but he stayed in King's Landing. He has many different disguises in the books, too, and they talk about how he can disguise himself and he can completely change the way he walks and talks. And you can't even see he blends into any crowd, which is why people don't trust him because he literally appears out of nowhere. He can disappear into a crowd like a magician. They talk about how heavy he is in the books and the POVs, but how he moves so lightly on his feet. He, at the very last chapter of the last book that's been written, he's the epilogue chapter. It's Kevin Lannister who was blown up by Cersei in the show along with – that's another thing. She blew up the hand of the king who was the leader of the Lannisters <laughs> at the time. I don't get – I just don't – I don't – it's pointless. But she, it's, it's, it's his point of view. Is handed, he's handed the king at the time. Tommen is king. Cersei is in the um, – is still locked up by the Septon. She's just done her penance walk. And – um. Kevin goes back to his study and is summoned by Grandmaster Pycelle. And as he goes into Grandmaster Pycelle's chamber, he sees Grandmaster Pycelle is dead. And that's when Grandmaster Pycelle dies in the, in the um, books. He doesn't get stabbed by a quabber. He's already been stabbed. He's been shot by a crossbow, which is what Varys is using. And he turns around and he sees Varys disguised and he shoots him in the chest. And as he dies, Varys tells him about the fake Aegon storyline, which I mentioned earlier. I won't get into that. It's a bunch of book stuff that you got that none of, but nobody listening about the show will ever care about. But uh, he explains how he's been groomed to lead and how he's, he's going to use his influence to undermine Cersei's authority. And Kevin Lannister, he said, the reason you had to die is what he tells Kevin is that you were too competent. You were fixing Cersei's mistakes and I have to allow her to melt down. So I don't think Cersei's going to play quite the role that she does in the books. And Varys is going to play a much more prominent role because the game between he, Littlefinger, Tyrion, and the other quote unquote smart characters in the books, I'm putting those quotes because in the show, they are completely different and stupid. Complete be, idiots in the show. And the, yes, and, and I think they'll be shown to be idiots in the books because they're fighting while this gigantic threat looms at the Night King, which uh, we don't mention that Arya saved the world two episodes ago. Sure, okay. Nobody mentions that the wall's down. That thing, the wall was mentioned constantly in the first two seasons. Now that it's gone, okay, sure. Never mention again. But that's where Varys is. Varys is going to, it's still in King's Landing. He's not warping all over the world like he was in seasons five and six. And helping Daenerys, I think he's going to lead this fake Aegon to the throne and to alliance with most of the Seven Kingdoms. And Daenerys is going to have to defeat a popular ruler, that being fake Aegon. I think that's when Varys will die in the books. Okay. This has been a really long The Night is Dark and Full of Spoilers. I don't know if we're going to do another one next week. If y'all really want it, we'll do it. But I'll read like a it. recap. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll do it if you really want it. you got to tell me on Twitter. Otherwise... It's been tough. It's been tough for me and Mr. Daniel the last couple of weeks. We get on here, we tell you what we think, we break it down. I've been looking for good. I'm a generally positive person, but lately, good grief. Okay, sticking to book lore, next rapid wildfire question. The convenient white horse there to save Arya was a not-so-subtle Bible reference from the Bible. I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer 
based on the above passage, a common translation into English, the rider of the white horse, sometimes referred to as a white rider, is generally referred to as conquest, meaning aria, death, conquest, but it's also, is the white horse, a reference to book lore, correct? It could be, but it, um, I think it's more of a um, shout-out to Shadowfax, who is the legendary horse that Gandalf rode, the white horse. I think it's also to they used white to contrast against um, the death and destruction, the, the the burnt city. That's really what that comes down to. I think beautifully shot to, too. Beautifully yeah, shot. The, the cinematography has been great, but again, Arya in that is a nonsensical because she was just shown to be an invincible assassin. Almost, she got stabbed in the stomach. Yeah. Just a few episodes. I mean, just it was not that a handful of episodes ago. Yeah. All right. Next one. This is more of a personal gripe, but have major character deaths lost all of their punch? After all this time, I feel nothing when, say, Jamie, who was my favorite character, dies, or Varys. It used to be that Game of Thrones, when you had a notable death, you felt it. It was meaningful. Have they lost their punch? I think you're right. I agree with you with what you said earlier. They just, they've rushed this season so much, and they've tried to consolidate these storylines so much that they don't let you they take your breath away and they don't let you feel that emotional impact. They lost their fastball when it came to the to death. They don't let it breathe. You said it just like that. They don't let that moment breathe. You don't get the characters reacting to the consequence, reacting to the long night. You get a little dining hall and we're back to war planning and then Rhaegal's dead. Boom, Masande's captured at the very end. Oh my gosh. Black screen. So we don't get any any kind of reaction from the characters, which is why We've had such a visceral reaction to it. We don't get to experience time with our characters. We get They get to be bulleted points to where the story, they don't have dialogue. It's like they've read the script, and so they're anticipating what each other is saying. A few more of these. John has had about 15 lines this season, mostly some variation of, Danny is our queen. That's actually a really nice, it's not a bad Jon Snow impression. I was going to make fun of you earlier, but it's not. Thank you. The most meaningful thing he's done all season is yell at a dead dragon. So if R mm-hmm. plus L equals J means nothing, which is what it looks like, is John's character building for seven seasons more or less in service of killing Danny? That's what it certainly seems like, doesn't it? Unless there's a, some twist uh, with Bran or what significance that is to Bran and whatever his endgame is or whatever endgame twist they have in store for us, then... Yeah, I think it's pretty meaningless at this point. Just a plot device to get... It's another, just like the Night King was a plot device to get Daenerys' army to a competable size to make it have the illusion of a competitive battle. Jon's parentage literally is to mean nothing unless to drive Danny Danny crazy. She burned it down because that was the last straw because the man she loves won't love her because of his parentage. The most important news in the realm and the history of the show and the books doesn't matter. And we don't get to see any of the characters' reaction to that either, do we? Okay, I'm not trying to harp on the Jamie point, but I've got a couple of more. This one's a little long, I'm sorry. Why not just kill Brian in the long night? Jamie's death made him being with Brian sexually and lovingly entirely pointless. If Brian had died in the Battle of Winterfell, Jamie would have been so devastated and tearfully crawled back to Cersei, and it would have been much more believable that he went back to be with Cersei because now he has no one, no one to live for, but her and their unborn child that she never shows, even though she's 50 months pregnant. I want our baby to live. 
I want to be able to live. Don't let me die, Jake. Please don't let me die. Please don't let me die. I don't want to die. Look at me. Look at me. No, not like this. Not like this. No, not like this. Look, look me in the eye. Don't look away. Don't look. Look at me. Just look at me. They did the same thing. They took it in what could be an emotional moment, and they subverted your expectations. They, and they also did it to fan service because people have been talking about Brian and Jamie hooking up for years. Um, so they did it. Then they let. Then they made those people angry by having her being the spurned woman crying in the rain. Awful. Just let her die in the Battle of Winterfell. Okay, last man. One. They, you know, Brian of Tara through Star Wars and uh, Game of Thrones. Man, her characters have been. Um, they don't do them very good service. <laughs> Poor Gwendolyn Christie. She's great. She's so good. So good. Last one. Okay. Who knew Jamie could teleport to a secret location via steps right off of King's Landing's main road, which no one else that was running from the Dragonfire thought to take, and Euron could magically wash up on that same super secret shore? I love how Euron is one of the few in Westerosi history to kill a dragon that would have made him a legend. Very few have done it, but now he's terrible at it. There's no acknowledgement of it. We said last week that there was precedent, but this is absurd. When did Euron, though, this is the question, when did Euron's life mission, like he said to Jamie, become killing Jamie Lannister? That's new. Never. It was always to be the king of the Iron Islands and to be the king of the Seven Kingdoms. But that's book, again, I'm, we're working from book law, knowledge and book logic that we should have, if the previous episodes of this podcast and the previous episodes of the show haven't shown us, they have no regard for what that means. They will disregard it any time it's inconvenient to their plot, to what they decide is happening. I'm going to get on my soapbox one last time before we close this out. Okay. You know how I've rationalized Jamie's arc? This is how I've done it. And you have to do it for yourself. Because if you don't, you're going to go crazy and get caught up in the weeds and realize how bad the show has been in season eight. But Jamie being with Brienne wasn't because he loved her or even wanted to use her. He wanted to be her. He spent many seasons in what we thought was a redemptive arc. And he spent that time learning from Brienne what it meant to be a true honorable knight. But once he knighted her, slept with her, and realized what he'd done, his shame became too much. He couldn't spoil the noblest king in the Seven Kingdoms. He came to understand what Tyrion said to him, and I think it was like episode one or two, that he knew exactly who Cersei was and loved her anyway. He would never be Brienne. I know I'm desperate. This is pathetic, but... No, it's not. That's it's, how I rationalize it, it. It's not. It's not. I get. I, look, the ending was going to be when stories end, especially ones that you're very invested in. End. It's always going to be bittersweet. And just like Breaking Bad, when we had conversations about that show, they stayed true to the characters. Giving fans what they want and some of the, what they expect is not inherently a bad thing if you still present it in a way that's consistent with the story. And they never done that. They just didn't do it in a way that's consistent with the, with any of the previous themes or battles that they ever tried it was just uh thrown together haphazardly to close things out we're trying a new segment on the next to last night is dark and full of spoilers i, I don't know if it's, this isn't the last one we'll see how we feel sunday night or if you really want it it's time for and now my watch has ended looking ahead to the series finale mercifully of game of thrones i think i know what's going to happen you can add historical context to the discussion or chime in with your own thoughts here we go 
John takes the black after killing Danny, rebuilds the Night's Watch out of shame, his own personal exile. Bran becomes the king. Makes no sense whatsoever. Bran has gone so far as to say that he wants for nothing anymore. So why would he even accept being king? I think he's going to end up on the throne. Bran saw the vision of King's Landing and didn't even tell anyone. Why would he be king if he doesn't care? Again, that doesn't matter. I think he's going to be on the throne. A ruling committee is put in place as Westeros steers towards democracy. Bran is joined on that committee by Tyrion, assuming he isn't executed. Sam and Bronn, maybe? I can't get over the writers making Tyrion an idiot. I'm steering off topic real quick, but wasn't Tyrion becoming darker in the books, especially after Jamie revealed the truth about Tysha? Like, he had his own plans by going to Danny. Yes, he did. He absolutely did. He, he wanted to get revenge on his whole family. And that's really the end of what Tyrion's goal was. He's very fatalistic. He constantly thinks about his father's last words and Shay's last words and all these things. And that's really what he gets into. He just starts drinking a whole bunch. He's in a really, really, really dark place for himself and his family and uh, where his whole arc is going. And the way that Daenerys will make him believe again, I think, will be more believable in the books because he sees how much Barristan and all the soldiers when he's outside of Marine revere her. So I don't think it'll be quite the scene in season five when they met each other and had that conversation where she made him stop drinking, which seems like, you know, lifetime ago. But it'll be a much more positive turn. It even see it in his last, the end of his book chapters in the Dance of Dragons. He escapes slavery and sees Daenerys as an opportunity to redeem himself, really, from this pit he's gotten himself into. He ruined Varys' plan with Aegon, who wanted to make him a puppet king. Yes, send him, him west. Mm-hmm. Yeah, send by him turning west. Aegon into one more disaster to, to befall Westeros. Then he took Barristan's role as Danny's angel on the shoulder. <clears throat> um, him manipulating Danny to his deeds and driving her mad for its own purposes is a lot more believable than Danny suddenly <clears throat> deciding to become mad, going back to what makes madness, what creates madness. He would tell her things that might sound stupid to outsiders, but if his true purposes were dark, they wouldn't be stupid anymore. Right. George R. R. Martin is, it, it talks about how much he doesn't like nihilistic writing, so their own writing undermines what the whole theme of the, the books is about. Oh, should about, we play the George R. R. Martin um, clip where he talks about writing to subvert expectations? Not sure. Them, yeah, let's yeah. do that. Let's do that. I did look at some of the websites and read the discussions going on and the people talking about theories and uh, putting forward guesses as to where books was going and what some of the secrets that I was hinting at were. And many of the theories were completely off base and wrong, but some people got it right. That's when I really wrestled with the issue in like 1999 and 2000, 2001. Okay, these people have figured out something, should I now change it? And I decided that way lay disaster, you know. I'd, I'd laid in clues and things that pointed to a particular thing. And if I now changed it because one person in a thousand had figured it out, uh, the new solution would not be satisfactory because the clues point in another way. It would, be, it would be a cheat in a sense. But what do you do then? Do you change it and come up with something goofy and outlandish that you haven't led the, you haven't done the, the foreshadowing for, that you haven't laid the foundation for, just in order to surprise people? I mean, sure, I could have like aliens come down and that would certainly <laughs> surprise the hell out of everybody. No one is predicting that, but uh, <laughs> it, it would ruin the series. And I, th- I think some writers do that. 
and I think that's always mm. a mistake. Yeah. You know, if you've planned your book that the butler did it, and then you read an internet, someone has figured out that the butler did it, and you suddenly change in midstream, and it was the chambermaid who did it, mm. then you screw up the whole book because you get these this foreshadowing early on, and you've got these little clues you planted. Now they're dead ends, and you have to introduce other clues, and you're retconning. It's a mess. It kind of fits to what you're saying right there, that not only is it not inherently bad to give people what they want, but the storytelling choices that these writers are making go against really what his entire vision and purpose for writing these books is or are. Yes. It goes against the theme, which they hate so much apparently. And that's why I said they must have some kind of disdain for the audience. And, um, it really reminds me of the two writers of Lost. We brought it up a bunch, but Damon Lindelof and, uh, Carlton Cuse, those two guys really took a lot of heat and they did not take it very well. So much so that even when they wrote Prometheus, Damon Lindelof, he still was taking heat about loss, and he wrote this big screw you message to all the fans about, hey, well, he was, you know, he was past his whipping himself for the way Lost ended, and it was awful. He's also the guy who defended the Sopranos ending. Oh, I defend series. the Sopranos ending. I know you do. That's fine. That's fine, Ben. That's, but not finishing the story is still a problem. Finishing the story is tough, no doubt about it, but not finishing is just as terrible, which is why George R. R. Martin has been such a villain to everybody. He's getting a lot more slack now, I should say, because the way that the two show writers, and that's crazy to me because Nuts. if we were eight years in counting and that book is not on the horizon at all. Anyway, John takes the black and shame. The problem though, is John operates with Ned as his North star loyalty, duty, honor. He's going to stab the woman. But why is he going North? What is he, what is, is a night King going to show back up? Think I think there'll be something is. like Bran saying there'll always be a threat of a Night King, so you always need the Night's Watch. And Get out, okay, whatever. Sure. Yeah, so Tormund right. saying you have the North in you, I think it's foreshadowing that he's going to go back North, just as it's foreshadowing with Bran saying, I don't want for anything, and Varys saying to Tyrion, the best ruler is the one that doesn't want it. I think they're foreshadowing that Bran's going to be on the throne and that Jon's going to go back North, but he's going to stab the woman he loves, kill her like a coward, even though he goes by loyalty, duty, honor, all those things that Ned operated by, wiping out the moral lines he's drawn for himself in his own life. The Night King killing everyone would have actually made sense. Danny fighting for good her entire arc, then going crazy and torching everyone does not. And John killing her, he saw Egret kill how many innocent people, and he still loved her and definitely didn't try to kill her. None of this makes sense. Ugh. I don't care about you. You know nothing. I know nothing. <laughs> but at the end of the day, the end of the day, that's what that's what they want us to think that they that's the, the fact that they have to do these elaborate inside the episodes where they have to explain to us the characters' motivations to show how badly they were doing. Hey, at least Dormy can go get Brienne now. <laughs> Good luck with that. Good luck with that. That's it. I don't have anything else. I'm done. That's the night is dark and full of spoilers. Not a lot of good. I didn't do bowls of brown for. A that was that was that anticlimactic enough for everybody that's been listening. That's the that's all, folks. That's it. I told you at the beginning of the episode of The Night is Dark and Full of Spoilers that I did enjoy the episode. I was entertained by it. But as an episode of Game of Thrones, it's different. It's just different. If I didn't care, we wouldn't be crapping all over it. Everybody can see the problem. Everybody can. And if you want another one of these to wrap things up, next week we'll do it. But only if you want it. And every time you haven't heard from me about Thrones a couple of days after an episode has aired, I always get mentions on Twitter at Spirit Ben 
When's the Night is Dark and Full of Spoilers coming out? And I appreciate it. I really do. It has been hard these last two weeks. Look, honestly, thanks everybody for listening. Though at the end of the day, yeah. I mean, they, you, you spent time with us, two guys, just talking about a show. So. Yeah, yeah, and it's good and it's fun. But that's it. I have nothing else today. Yeah, it's anticlimactic, almost like the entire season, season eight <laughs> of Game of Thrones. The night is dark and full of spoilers. Thank you, Maester Daniel. Thanks, man. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.